The Neurodivergent Woman podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hello, this is the Neurodivergent Woman podcast. Hi, I'm Monique Mitchelson and I'm a clinical psychologist. And I'm Michelle Libok, and I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. Michelle and I met at work and bonded over a shared love of feminism and yoga. We both saw the need to provide a free resource to adult neurodivergent women. And so the Neurodivergent Woman podcast was born. Michelle is neurotypical. And Monique is neurodivergent. And we bring our clinical expertise and lived experience to the topics we explore. This is a podcast where we center and showcase neurodivergent women from all walks of life. Covering autism to ADHD and everything in between, we aim to educate and inspire women who think differently. This week's guest is Genevieve Hall, who has come on the podcast to chat with us about her experiences with premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. Genevieve is a writer, marketing consultant, and creator of the Demi Monde Jewel Shop. Her special interests include gemstones, bees, and starting new hobbies, ideally a niche crafting skill. On any given day, Genevieve will be either powered or frustrated by her ADHD, and PMDD has been a familiar and unwelcome visitor over the years. So welcome to the episode today. We're chatting with Genevieve Hall from season one of the podcast. We're welcoming her back um, to chat about her journey with ADHD and PMDD. Hi, thanks for having me back. So good to have you back, Jen. So we're here to talk about PMDD or premenstrual dysphoric disorder. But before we get into that, I just want to give people some facts about you know, why we're talking about something that affects women and AFAB around periods and hormones and why that's important. So some facts that I think a lot of us don't actually know about, you know, being people who menstruate and have periods is that on average, women and AFAB have periods for nearly 40 years of their life. And from the time of your first cycle to menopause, the average person will have around 450 periods in their lifetime. And if you add this up, it actually equates to spending nearly 10 years of your life bleeding, just continuously bleeding blood. I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. I'm not interested (laughs) at all. I would like to get off this ride. (laughs) So, yeah, this is why it's really important that we talk about periods and the facts related to them. So when we're looking at managing periods over a person's lifetime, this works out to using nearly 11,000 tampons across your lifetime, which is a lot. And it's estimated that people will spend between ten to twenty thousand dollars across their lifetime on period products to manage, you know, their periods. And it's it's just crazy to me that, you know, women, AFAB, people who have periods, they form nearly fifty percent of the population. Um, so just above like fifty-two percent. Uh yet 
this isn't really taken into consideration when we're looking at mental health. Um, like as psychologists, we don't get a lot of training in PMDD. Sometimes you have to go to someone that actually specializes in PMDD and a lot of people don't, you know, know the impact that it has on people. That's been my experience for sure in finding out about it. And it's so frustrating that to just go to a GP, for example, so much of the research that has been done in the last few decades, women have been deliberately excluded from it because they were considered too irregular. And periods are icky, guys. It's like this this whole thing where I think it's in New Zealand where, um, I mean, I could actually be completely getting the facts of this wrong, but I did hear that um, one kind of major uh, grocery chain in New Zealand was one of the first to actually put on, you know, like when you go down the aisle and it tells you like what's in that aisle at the grocery store to put period care as opposed to feminine hygiene. Mm. <laughs> it's like, just say period. Just. And I think, you know, it sounds like a silly point to make, but I think that's part of people not wanting to talk about it, not yeah. knowing about it because it's like, Kept it in the shadows. Period. Yeah, mm. for sure. Even the scientists or medical professionals who are seeing it, who are seeing things on the front line, seeing actual evidence will often exempt the symptoms of menstruation because it's seen as something that's complicating the real issue mm, instead of mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. that is part of the information you mm. need to factor that in. Yeah, well, hormones affect every part of people's lives from, you know, your cognition, your mood, your experience of pain, um, your appetite, your mental health. Like it affects so much for people and I think there's still a lot of stigma around periods and a lot of sexism in medicine and psychology in general, unfortunately. So now that we've established that periods are a thing and it's important that we know about them, um, the first important thing to cover would be what actually is PMDD? So we've talked about what it stands for, so premenstrual dysphoric disorder, but how does it actually differentiate from normal fluctuations in mood throughout the menstrual cycle. And for our listeners, that's Jen's adorable cat, Dolly, that you may (laughs) be hearing in the background. I'm going to leave that in the edit because I think it's adorable. Um, (laughs) But back to the question. Um, And I'm wondering, Monique, if you can just give us a bit of a rundown on that. Sure. So BMDD became an official diagnosis in 2013 when the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual version 5 came out before it had been listed as something to watch, something that was in development, but it wasn't official. Um, So yeah, it's only been around maybe like the last 10 years that it's been more recognized and more research has gone into it. But basically during the late luteal phase in your menstrual cycle, so The time before you start bleeding, the few days before you start bleeding, around 5 to 8% of women in the general population or people who have periods experience debilitating emotional and physical symptoms, and that's combined with experiencing an impairment in functioning. 
So difficulty going about doing your regular activities of daily living, work, socializing, relationships, all of that. So PMDD shares symptoms with PMS, premenstrual syndrome, but PMDD is less common than PMS and more severe. So with PMS, a lot of people may experience symptoms uh, that cause pain or difficulty, but it may not be to the point where they actually need medical intervention or a form of medication to control those symptoms. And with PMS, uh, PMS occurs in up to 48% of people who menstruate. So the other factor is that people with PMDD can be at risk for suicidality and suicide attempts. So diagnosis and treatment is really important. PMDD often co-occurs with other mental health issues like anxiety and depression, but also other things like schizophrenia. And there is a lot of comorbidity with autism and ADHD, which I think a lot of practitioners don't know about, but this is really important. So there have been studies. There was a study in 2016 that reported almost 21% of autistic women in the study compared with 3% of non-autistic women suffered from PMDD. That's a big difference. So because there hasn't been a whole bunch of research, there are differing statistics between studies, but it's looking like PMDD does occur a lot more within the autistic population than the general population. And with ADHD, there was a study that looked at 46% of women and people who menstruate who are ADHDers experience PMDD. And again, with ADHD, the estimates vary between studies as well. The thing with PMDD too is that there's actually no agreed upon cause of PMDD and it's not actually known why it affects certain populations more than others. There are a few different theories. So there is a genetic component. There have been some genetic studies like twin studies or looking at parents who've had PMS or PMDD. There's been hormonal theories as well, like theorizing that particularly autistic and ADHD people um, might be more sensitive to hormonal fluctuations or have more hormonal fluctuations, more severe hormonal fluctuations. But yeah, it's a, it's a field that's emerging. So Jen, what's your experience of PMDD been? When did you first notice symptoms of PMDD? And has it been something for you that's always been part of your menstrual cycle? Did you have a bit of a later onset? I'd love to hear what your journey through PMDD has been. Yeah, so in hindsight, yes, it's definitely always been there. Like right from your first when you first started menstruating? Yes. Uh that would be when I was 12. I remember getting my first period and feeling very strange, but I was on a school trip to Japan at the time. Oh, so, <laughs> no, no. so I felt really strange anyway. Um, yeah, and I was I was so absurdly homesick, even though like my dad was part of the school group. So it was really unusual and I it, it was a bit out of character. In hindsight, yeah, I started as I <laughs> meant to go on with with my period health. Um it was rough. I can't I can't remember if it was every single month in the earlier years, but certainly when I was about 16, um so from the years 10, 11 and 12, especially age 16, 17, I would be in the staff room a few times a year, like vomiting in there staff bathrooms and my mum was coming to pick me up I would get migraines 
Yeah, from really young. And did you just feel like at that point or, or was the information that you were given at that point that, oh, well, that's just part of having a period? Like how did – I'm curious about how you conceptualised it at that point. Uh, the doctors I went to when I was a teenager, so when I was still in high school, um, I feel like so many – so many listeners will roll their eyes sympathetically at this. But, yeah, um, older male doctors who said, this will stop when you have a baby. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, terrible when, advice. When you have a baby. It's like, okay, A, maybe I won't. B, well, I guess I'll just go fuck myself in the meantime then. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so can I finish high school? <laughs> but I, I remember actually saying to him, being like, hey, that's a really expensive solution. Do you have anything else? Um, and just, no, it's just, you know, we'll put you on the pill. Okay. And the pill did help. Various pills at different times have helped. Being on the pill called Yaz was good for a while. But then in my late 20s, I went to another doctor and she said, hold on, this says that you get aura migraines. You you can't be on this pill. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I mean, 10 years later. So I'd been at, yeah, increased risk of stroke. So so I'm not allowed well, to go on yes anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's definitely been peaks and troughs uh, in my memory. And the reason I ended up with a diagnosis is because things really came to a head when I was about 27, 28. I did go through a period of really intense stress and it just seems like it built up. At the time, there was a lot of stress in my personal life. I was traveling a lot, so a lot of stress on my body, um, probably not eating as well not taking care of myself very well. This was also before I received my ADHD diagnosis. So I was really just in peak coping mechanism as an adult. <laughs> so things came to a head and I ended up getting a diagnosis because um, it was a period of very intense stress. And I started taking notes about, I started realizing that there was a very distinct relationship with the overall stress versus the stress that made me feel like a different person. And that was happening that was kicking off 10 days before my period every single month. Mm, I think that's such a good point about um, like data collection, yeah. you know, like just keeping track of what situations or times or periods during your life, <laughs> period, <laughs> um, uh, you experiencing uh, reoccurring stress or mood issues. Because I think also that can really help professionals as well. Like if you do go and you are thinking, okay, this seems like, like you were saying, Genevieve, more than just normal life stress, more than just I'm having an appropriate reaction to the level of stress that's in my life. I actually feel like a different person. If you're able to then be like, and it occurs 10 days before my period every month, yeah. then that's really, really helpful data and helpful information. Like I started getting a black Wednesday. It was the Wednesday um, before my period would arrive on the following Saturday. And I just started to realize because the drop-off was so steep, it was so savage. Um, and it was embarrassing. Like it, it impacts everything because along with the mood and the sort of emotional reactions to things like, you know, falling apart because I watched a toilet paper commercial. <laughs> like, it just felt like I was having the rug pulled out from underneath me mm. um, on these Black Wednesdays. And then, yeah, I, as I started taking notes, that was the thing when I finally went to a GP who specialised in women's health and she said, oh, have you ever heard of PMDD? Don't know what you're talking about. Why am I so sad? Why am I so – and the physical symptoms were also getting really aggressive and that 
that's what stopped me from gaslighting myself. Can you, can you talk us through what the physical symptoms were for you? Yeah, this is what actually made me accept or helped me accept that um, there was something happening to me and that I wasn't just being really silly, <laughs> a silly little woman with a period. But the physical symptoms started getting so severe. The bloating in particular, I would, I forget, this might have been like the three days before my period actually set in. Now we all, like it's not unusual to get bit of a puffy tummy, you know, a bit sore. Like fluctuations and mild yeah. fluctuations in weight yeah. around your cycle. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe you prefer to be in trackies instead of jeans that day. But this was so aggressive that I was retaining seven kilos of water weight in the space of about 48 hours. And even so, I was still blaming myself for a long time. But uh, then when I realized that I was dropping it just mm. as quickly on the other side. Um, and one day I was, I was talking to my sister and I was sort of saying, I don't, I don't feel great, but anyway, we're just having conversation. And then I started getting a stretch mark appearing on the top of my boob as we were talking. And she's like, what is going on here? Like, it mm, looks like a ghost was scratching me. And I was like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my God. I, like, I felt like that girl in Willy Wonka. Mm. The one that gets is it by a letter? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. She turns That's into right. the blue the purple girl. Yeah, something? yeah, yeah. Mm. And she's like sails away into the wind. <laughs> yeah. So isn't it so funny and not funny? Ha ha. Funny. Sad. Um, <laughs> that we can, as women, be experiencing such a clear sign of there's something not right. There's something going on. Even if you take away the physical side of things, even just the emotional side of things that you described, and yet it's so pervasive and so insidious, this teaching that we've all received that, oh, no, you're not right. What you think is going on for you? No. And I love that you, how you talked about or use that language of, you know, I stopped gaslighting myself about it. <laughs> Yeah. And on one hand, sure, we have to be resilient in life, but we are. Like, yes. I would encourage <laughs> any woman to just give herself some credit if you're not feeling well and you're starting to notice the pattern. Find a way to make it easier on yourself. I'm just wondering, too, you mentioned getting migraines before your periods. Like, that's something that I also get usually the day before for you was that part of the PMDD experience or was is it related to something else I'm happy to bundle them in together pointing the finger um I don't know if it's the same cause or or I've got different things going on but I yeah I, I think that's fair so my theory is that I get these big physical, uh, physiological responses when there are big flushes of hormones. So the migraines kick in when my period is about to properly kick off. I will have a bad night's sleep the night before. And for the rest of the month, I'm amazing at sleeping. I could sleep for Australia. But the night before my period kicks in, um, I cannot sleep at all. And then I often get a lot of pain as well, just horrible cramping and yeah. But I know that once I, if it's bad enough that I vomit, then after that I can have a sleep. Three hours later, I will be fine. And and for you, uh, the mood symptoms, are they mainly before, the, in the days lead up to your period or do they also persist while you're bleeding? It usually lifts around the first or second day. And then when I've finished, whether it's sort of three to five day 
bleed, um, I'll know when it's wrapped up because I will bounce out of bed the next morning feeling like myself and I feel like a new woman. (laughs) And and shed your skin. Yeah, (laughs) that's what it feels like. Um, Yeah, and I feel on top of the world. I don't feel better than usual. I just feel usual. And after being in the dungeon of PMDD for the previous period. the comparison is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that theory holds. When we think about our kind of hormonal cycle throughout the whole menstrual cycle, like our whole 28-day cycle, it is often those days. And this is different for every woman. And every woman, I feel like, definitely not to the point of a Black Wednesday, right? Like that's (laughs) extra. Um, But I do feel like most women notice those days when there is a drop in one level of hormone or an increase in another level of hormone. Like you can actually perceive those internal hormonal changes. Um, Yeah, so what you were describing there about the physical symptoms coming on when you feel like there's been a big massive hormonal shift one way or the other, that makes total sense me. Yeah, usually with period migraines, particularly like the day before or the first day of period, it's usually because there's a drop, like quite a drop in things like progesterone. I've had pretty bad PMS and gone to a integrative GP and gotten, you know, supplements and stuff like that to help with progesterone. And that's actually really helped my symptoms of PMS and uh, reduce the migraines that I would get before my period. So what's yeah. an integrative GP? So it's like a GP who's gone and done extra training using evidence-based uh, like nutritional supplements. Um, so for me, it was a way of kind of getting a bit of extra care, but still going through like the evidence-based modality and like with a medical practitioner that has extra experience in, yeah, those areas like hormones. Because Genevieve, I know that you um, have taken a hormonal supplement as well. Yeah. Do you want to share with us just that process for you? Yeah, because um, I also wanted to sort of mention, I, I can tell the difference now since taking supplements, I'm now at a point with it where I don't get it for 10 days. I mostly now for the last two years have just had like a bit of PMS here and there, not even every month. It's a, an enormous relief because for a good 10 years, it was a real punish. So the first GP I went to, she told me about PMDD and gave me the diagnosis, but the only solution she offered was um, something for the migraines, which would lessen the symptoms but not do anything to stop the migraines, or uh, an antidepressant, either for the full month or just half of the month. And I didn't take that because I felt like there was something systemic that I really needed to work through. And I'm really glad I took the time to do that when I had the opportunity to, because I was right. (laughs) So there are a lot of contributing factors, I think. And even though nobody knows anything about PMDD, really, I knew that there were things going on around diet, travel, stress, years of being on the pill and coming off the pill. Also the types of pill. I was living in Hong Kong at the time. And even though I was taking the same kind of contraceptive pill, it was the generic version that was available there. And I was reacting to that because I went back to the whichever version of the same pill I could buy in Australia. And even though it was, it's all the same, but it wasn't the same. So I just felt like I needed a doctor who would work with me for a bit longer to work out what was going on systemically. And that took me to a different doctor who I would guess is an integrative GP. And we looked at some natural options and that's where I started. So the supplement that I had the best results with um, is called Happy Hormones. And I would recommend it to absolutely 
anyone. So good. They've got a Facebook community, join it and see everyone else's results too. And that helped immediately. So that's so interesting. Do you know specifically what was in some of the supplements you took and why you think those particular supplements were helpful? Yes. So with the Happy Hormones supplement, I took that to my GP to get her to cast her eye over it. And she said, yep, this is great. You're not the first patient to show me this. It's got Vitus Agnus Cactus in it and Black Cohosh. One of those is a mood stabilizer. I forget which one. And the other one is a hormone stabilizer, basically. Um, And it's with a whole lot of other things, including fiber. So the theory is that we have a lot of surplus hormones in our body and maybe a combination of genetics, lifestyle, diet. We're not flushing them through well enough. Um, So there's a buildup. This sort of focuses on the relationship between bowels and hormone reabsorption as well. I mean, I I love that you brought this up because one of my favorite period facts is the reason that often, and and sorry if you're squeamish and you're listening, but the reason that you often uh, do more and larger poops (laughs) during your period, (laughs) or you should be, right, it's healthy to do that, is that's part of your body's natural way of kind of flushing out a lot of this excess stuff. So it's so interesting that there's fiber in this supplement that's amazing. They also focus a lot on liver support and other things as well that I can't speak to with any authority. Um, but it felt good. All I know is that I started taking it and within about two months, I felt remarkably different. It sounds like exactly as you said, Jen, it's it's like this whole kind of systemic approach rather than say like an antidepressant, which maybe is what you might need or some, what someone might need in that moment, right, yeah. to function or to get to a place where, um, yeah, there's not such a huge functional impact. But it sounds like this hormonal supplement is more looking at the whole system, everything that's going on internally and kind of bringing everything into balance almost. Exactly. And the theory being that whatever we've done in previous years may have been knocking our bodies out of balance. Um, or maybe we just naturally didn't have very good balance, which honestly sounds on brand. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. And I think the thing with hormones and holistic healthcare is that there are so many factors that interplay with people um, and hormonal issues or imbalances. And I think it's important to go and find a healthcare practitioner that can take the whole picture of what you've going on into context and make sure everything is addressed across all the different systems of the body and all the different diagnoses that you might have. Because um, like with my integrative GP that I went to for the PMS, I got put on a bunch of supplements, really helped my PMS, really helped like the pain that I was experiencing and all the different symptoms. But one of the supplements that I was on, which had Vitex in it, which helps regulate, I think, progesterone. For me personally, I had too much of the like the unhealthy estrogen that was causing like PMS symptoms. But then when we added in the Vitex, my joint instability actually got worse because I have joint hypermobility syndrome, which I've only just recently found out about. And again, very common in neurodivergent people. 
And so, yeah, when you have high levels of progesterone, it kind of, yeah, affects how flexible your joints are, which can be part of why in pregnancy, when your progesterone is really high, people have really lax joints. And if you're hypermobile, like it can get a lot worse in pregnancy. So I was like, oh my God, maybe my body, even though it's like kicking the shit out of me, you know, with my PMS symptoms, and maybe this particular imbalance or whatever I had was protecting my joints in a way. So I still haven't figured out a way around it. It's kind of like when you've got multiple health things going on, sometimes it's choosing like, you know. (laughs) Overcorrection. Yeah. Like what's trying to help. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like choose this pain or this pain. Because yeah, my joints would actually start to bend back the wrong way. Like when I was walking or like picking things up and I was like, ow. (laughs) It's like which pain do you want? (laughs) So interestingly, those two ingredients I mentioned even though they're really good for a lot of women, there is a small percentage who don't react so well to them. One of them can also affect liver health in a small percentage, but there is a new supplement release. And again, I don't have any affiliation with happy hormones either. I'm just obsessed with them. But they just released a new one called Happy Period because happy hormones is actually for a lot of menopausal symptoms. So I think the takeaway here is, you know, take into account every person's individual, everyone's going to react in different ways to different treatments or strategies they're using to help themselves, but get checked out by a medical professional, get your treatment plan overseen. So, Monique, can you take us through what the actual criteria are for PMDD? So, what things are we looking at specifically when we say PMDD? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So, there are 11 criteria and what you're looking for is experiencing at least five of those criteria and at least one mood-related criteria. You can find the criteria in the DSM-5. So the the first one is mood or emotional changes. So things like mood swings, feeling suddenly sad or tearful or increased sensitivity to rejection, uh, increased irritability, anger or interpersonal conflict. So, you know, starting to affect relationships, depressed mood, feelings of hopelessness, feeling worthless or guilty, anxiety, tension, feelings of being keyed up or on edge. Decreased interest in usual activities like work, school, friends, and hobbies. Difficulty concentrating, focusing, or thinking. So, for example, brain fog. Tiredness or low energy. Changes in appetite like food cravings, overeating, or binge eating. Hypersomnia, so excessive sleepiness or insomnia. Feeling overwhelmed or out of control. Physical symptoms such as breast tenderness, pain, or swelling joint or muscle pain, bloating or weight gain. So that's the official criteria. So it's really that you're experiencing those particular symptoms um, in the 10 to 14 days before your period. If you're experiencing those symptoms all the time, every week of the month, then you may want to be looking at depression or something else is going on. And usually if you're going to a mental health professional or a medical professional, part of the assessment process is they get you to fill out a record for at least a two-month period. 
So a daily record of tracking symptoms, you know, both mental health symptoms, physical symptoms, and really looking at the timing um, because it's trying to rule in and rule out what's actually going on here. And if you have anything that's co-occurring, that also needs treatment as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Jen, being the star student that you are, came prepared <laughs> with your tracking data. <laughs> and I think um, something that was really interesting in what you said earlier was that you mentioned that you kind of felt like a different person, you know, so a lot of those things that you experienced as part of your PMDD were not normal for you, were not typical for you. Can you unpack that a little bit further for us and tell us a little bit more about what that experience of feeling so different was like or how you knew that? I would also love to know, did other people around you who know you well see the difference in you as well in that period of time before your period? (laughs) (laughs) Um, They did, but they weren't able to correlate that it was because of my period. They weren't paying that close attention. What did they notice within you? Like what feedback did you get from them? It's hard to pinpoint because the person I was in a relationship with at the time, uh, we were not a good fit at all. Mm -hmm. So we were going to be having a lot of arguments anyway. Half the time it's just because I was right, as in I was right to be upset in that situation. It was a a rational response. Um, I would have been that upset anyway. But the best way I can describe it is – I knew the symptoms were kicking in because the physiological reaction was different to my logical reaction. So I would sit there and take a beat before responding or take a beat before deciding how I feel about something. And yet my physical reaction would be cold sweats, very anxious, very upset. You'd have Um, a very heightened physiological stress response. Like it would just go. Yes. Like dialed up to 11, which is really unlike me day to day. Mm. So yeah, I felt like it was not me. Like I felt like it was weather coming in and leaving. It wasn't, you know, my natural climate. That is such a good analogy. I love that. Weather is almost like, oh, my God, I can see the storm rolling in to this tropical paradise that is normally (laughs) my life. Yeah, Yeah. it's like me hanging out, feeling really good. So I I could be sitting there for, you know, the first two weeks of the month um, and the weather's good. Maybe there's a bit of, you know, a bit of an argument sometimes. There's situational responses, all really normal. And then it would just be this 10-day period of no matter what was happening, I felt like it was a storm. It just felt awful. And then it would lift so quickly. So it just became my full-time job to manage it because I didn't want to inflict it on other people. I didn't want to be hard work. Actually, speaking of work, it was also really hard to focus. The brain fog, intense. And actually, now that's probably the biggest symptom that has stuck around. I don't have the pain or emotional reactions as severely but it's still really hard to produce for about a week like to produce creative work which is what I'm supposed to do all the time (laughs) and sometimes that can be linked to the ADHD side of things something I I noticed independently but I've also seen just anecdotally from other ADHD women online Vivance I'm on Vivance I love it it doesn't work for Mm. quite a few days of the month And it'll be only then, and then I'll be back on the horse following. It's still overall better than not having it at all, but it is not like 
still my brain function does not get where it would normally be. So it's not as effective. Nowhere near as effective. Yeah. Have you found any other overlap or any other kind of interesting interaction, I guess, between ADHD medication, just general ADHD traits, behaviors, things like that with the PMDD? Yeah, they're worse. <laughs> For sure. Again, um. the data. <laughs> um, I'm the most ADHD. Again, part of the part of pre-diagnosis, and this is also pre-ADHD diagnosis. Just my executive function will just it's just in the toilet. Like it's nowhere to be found. <laughs> and um I I sort of I can laugh about it now because this is maybe gosh, six years later, I got better at managing it. I've got better at treating it. And it's just overall a lot more positive for me. So I can laugh about it now because I got to the, I got to the good part after, but there, there will be days where just the executive function, I couldn't pull a plan together. I couldn't just start a task and complete it unless there was a huge amount of anxiety driving it. That stress state was the only way to get anything done. And so as a result, you find ways to put yourself in that stress state, which is awful. And it kind of snowballs because if you're doing that for a week every month and you have to keep visiting this place you don't want to go to just to get things done. And I don't have to do that anymore, which is amazing. But yeah, I remember that there was probably what f- one of the other main things that flagged it for me was I realized this is in 2019, like pre-pandemic, I just kind of had forgotten to go out for a few days. I was working from home. I've I've never been afraid of going out. It's not uh, an anxiety-driven thing. I just couldn't put the plan together. I'm quite happy alone. <laughs> I'm quite happy to take things easy rather than push myself through the difficulties of trying to scrounge up some ex- executive function when instead I could be using those like, you know, that precious resource on getting getting just enough work done to um to get through the week. I think that's really good for people to hear in that what you're describing there is for this period during your cycle, uh, your executive function resources are even further depleted. We know when we think about, we've talked before about our brain as like an office, different departments that do different things. In an ADHD brain, resources have gone elsewhere. It's not less resources, it's just differently distributed resources. But during this time when you're experiencing PMDD, your admin office is like everyone has been diverted to other areas of the department <laughs> and like tumbleweed passing through. <laughs> um, but I think knowing that is really important and helpful in the sense of you don't have to feel shame about that. Like that's actually a biological thing that's going on for you at that period and cutting yourself some slack. Like if someone's listening to this and thinking, oh my God, I have that experience. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong with you as a human being. It just means you have no executive function resources at that time and finding workarounds that actually enable you to manage that with compassion and non-judgment with yourself. Or knowing, you know, that time of the month for you, if you can, try to make it a lower demand mm, time exactly. of the month. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I have now been able to set up my work life so that I can do that. I know, like I've been able to sort of rebuild my confidence now. I know that I'm just as productive as any other person, but I'm probably not as consistent. But from day to day, over a month, yes. 
uh, day to day or week to week, not so much. And that can be frustrating. I've, I'm fortunate. I've had some really understanding, um, employers, but you still, it's, it adds the extra layer of having to manage expectations to forward plan so much. Even just organizing this catch up, I had to wait because my cycle was just being a bit weird last month. It just added another week for some reason. The added job of having to manage the problem while also living with the problem. Yeah, it's a lot. I, I do love though, like for listeners, a really cool fact I guess is that we actually plan recording this episode around Jen's hormonal cycle (laughs) and her PMDD (laughs) yeah (laughs) because if we're gonna do this in two weeks you'd be getting a lot less out of me what I would love to see is actually just all workplaces everywhere recognizing with PMDD yes but even just brought more broadly like women's menstrual cycles and hormonal cycles as a normal part of human existence for over 50% of the population i've started saying you know over the last kind of year or two really i've been increasing this into my just common vernacular with people and i just openly talk about oh i can't that week that's uh, i'm going to be starting my period that week i'm not going to be on that's not going to be a good day for me and it's so funny seeing people's reactions where some people are like oh like pleasantly surprised usually other women like oh my god we can say that <laughs> we can just say like yeah. no i have my period or you know that's not going to be a good brain day for me and some people are like oh, uh, uh, oh okay <laughs> and i think the more that we as bleeding individuals just start bringing this up and treating it like yeah it's just a fact of my life mm-hmm. you know this is it i'm not going to feel bad or shameful for wanting to create my life or organize my work life in a way that fits my natural hormonal cycles. Yeah. Yeah. I I like how you said, you know, Genevieve, across the month, you are just as productive, Mm. you know, as anybody else. And maybe we need to actually rethink as society, the ideals and standards that we have around consistent productivity, because that's actually very male centric. Um, And we had a chat about this in our episode on hormones in season one about how the male hormonal cycle is a 24 hour cycle. People with a male hormonal cycle experience the same level of hormones every day. And so, you know, the eight-hour workday, five days a week and consistent work productivity levels across those weeks for a whole year, that's very male-centric. Like it's really built around the male hormonal system and not the female hormonal system. And also capitalism, right? And capitalism. Your value as a person is directly tied to your productivity. Um, So, yeah, I think those two things of focusing on a male hormonal system and capitalist ideals of what makes someone valuable has really left individuals with a female hormonal system out to dry. Yeah, it's it's left them with like work and school that actually may not really work for them for for more than, you know, 50% of the population. For 52% of the population, it's not really actually ideal. It's not an ideal environment. It's not ideal expectations. Like I really feel like we need to actually, you know, revolutionize um, higher education, workplaces, um, and actually look at what does productivity mean for people with female hormones. Yeah. Hmm. I'm very much ready for this particular revolution <laughs> because I think it's like I I would encourage any woman to just 
take some of the audacity for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I'm trying to do this year instead of complaining about all the men who have too much of it. I'm just like, well, I'm going to have more too. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, I just absolutely be audacious about when you will and won't work. Obviously, that's easy for me to say. There have been periods in my life when I couldn't be audacious. I had to be cooperative. <laughs> but um, I'd encourage anyone to ask as well, see what can be organized. Well, I think that's a great point because I actually just remembered just then someone that I know, um, she was sharing with me that she uh, basically, I don't know if she has been diagnosed with PMDD, but she has really, really difficult, lots of kind of um, emotional and physical symptoms around her period. And she actually just started, she works in a typical kind of work system where you might think, oh, I have to work these particular hours there's no wiggle room there's you know no space for me to get accommodations for this she started just every kind of four months so she's like I can do it four months in advance just saying to her boss hey here's the days I'm not going to be at work and I will make those days up you know through other like flexible like working at home or you know whatever later in the month but I'm letting you know I'm not going to be at work on these days and it's because of my period (laughs) And, and I mean, not everyone's situation is the same, but she was really shocked positively at how well that was received. And just, and the feedback she got from her boss was, oh, amazing. Well, you've given me advance notice. I'd much rather just block these days out in advance rather than you calling in sick you know, on these days, which she was like, well, to be real, I would have anyway, (laughs) because I would have been non-functional. So I think, I guess that take home there being, even if you feel like there's no wiggle room, maybe there's a little bit more than you might think that there is. Yeah. Yeah, And I'd I'd really love for men to really listen to this information and take some of it on board because, you know, every every male dominated industry, every man out there, they have mothers, they have sisters, they have daughters, you know, they have someone in their life who is affected by female hormones. So, Jen, our last question for you for today is really what have you found most helpful in managing some of the symptoms of PMDD? So we've talked a bit about um, the hormonal supplement, but I guess I'm wondering kind of more generally like lifestyle, any behavioral strategies, any other medication, anything else that you feel like has been, yeah, has helped. So I've taken measures across many realms of well-being, I think. So when you look at the obvious ones like diet, exercise, um, supplements, medication, they've all played a part. And then I think the the key thing is is stress. It's actually uh, reducing stress. And yeah, and I didn't want to hear that particularly when sometimes doctors are saying, are you just stressed overall? And you want them to be like, oh my God, something needs to be amputated because this feels mm. like such an emergency. And um, also who's not stressed? Yeah. yeah. Like, hello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which which kind of supports their point. <laughs> like, um, they're probably sitting there going, yeah, no, I'm seeing a lot of people in here because we're all working too much and not eating particularly well and not making time to go in morning sun. We think about our consciousness as 
divorced or separate to the meat suit that we walk around in every day. And it's actually so humbling and rude that <laughs> our general kind of mental functioning, our well-being, every single thing to do with, you know, how we feel is all tied up in our system as a whole. Um, and often I feel like as humans, we must feel like we're above stress. Oh, like, but this shouldn't be affecting me physically or this shouldn't be <laughs> yes. expected affecting like my ability to sleep or, yes. you know, all of these other functional things. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's that kind of bringing yourself back down to earth moment where, <laughs> yeah, you are just a consciousness walking around in a meat suit and you've got to do all the things to keep your meat suit functioning. Yeah. Mm. Meat suit has a few good points sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to meat suit. <laughs> But that that's exactly right. And even just in the just paying attention to little ways to to look after myself. I I mean, just spending time on on doing something that makes me happy is time well spent. Yeah. So I, I would say the the biggest factor has been actively managing stress, not just feeling proud of how much of it I can handle. I feel like it's such a scam. <laughs> But we're encouraged to do that so much. Like just keep putting your own well-being aside, keep working really hard, keep focusing on things. And we we have periods in life where we have to sprint towards things. But your life shouldn't be a sprint. Absolutely. Take time to rest and be a little nymph in a waterfall sometimes. Oh and <laughs> just, just regulated vibes. my nervous system. Just <laughs> so saying happy that. to help. <laughs> <laughs> do it. <laughs> it's my prescription. Um, yeah, but just making sure I'm spending time investing in my overall well-being. I have another tactic uh, that has really helped interpersonal relationships. I'm now seeing someone really lovely and I will say to my partner, I'm feeling a little wobbly. If I get a bit snappy, <laughs> say this safe word. And he will because I'm the one who's brought it up. And we turn it into a bit of a joke. And I, I probably will get a bit shirty about something a bit unnecessary and he usually won't say the safe word because he doesn't want to fly too close to the sun <laughs> but he'll just wait a beat knowing that I will pull myself up and go sorry 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 that was so rude uh yes of course <laughs> like, well it's almost like putting it out there that like this is okay for you to kind of gently and with love and non-judgment bring me back exactly and uh, I, w I would say as well that there were times when I was younger where I simply didn't know how to advocate for myself at all at any week of the month. Mm -hmm. So they were the only occasions when I seriously couldn't bear it anymore when I would speak up. Um, Dolly <laughs> says speak yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so they were the only times when I ever really was advocating for myself. But now I'm a lot better at doing that. So... I don't have that pride element or I don't have that that hill that actually I, I should have died on when I was in a better state of mind, but I'm going to have to do it now instead. I don't have that. So it's a lot easier to wind back if I'm being a bit snappy. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think that actually feeds into your general point before about generally taking care of yourself, nurturing yourself, you know, doing all the things that you need because setting boundaries and anger, healthy anger is actually part of a very well-functioning and healthy nervous system. And I think so many times when we deny ourselves anger, either A, because we don't think we're allowed it or B, because we don't have the skill set yet for how to make that anger, transform that anger into something productive, like communicating our needs or setting boundary or whatever the case might be 
it is often then in only in those situations where we have totally lost control of our nervous system, our, you know, emotional regulation, that anger says, amazing, my time to shine. I've been waiting here so long. And so it sounds like as you've gotten older as well and in kind of a healthy relationship and there's lots of things going your way to support this, what you're also doing outside of those premenstrual periods is actually allowing space for healthy anger. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, then it doesn't boil over. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's important to make sure that you're not in a vacuum as well in terms of, you know, if you have a partner, I really feel like your partner should know where you mm. are in your menstrual cycle or yeah. your hormonal cycle Oh, for this the is month. a two-man job now. <laughs> exactly. You know, like they should sort of know if you have PMDD or PMS or just in general, where are you at? What support do you need? Like often, yeah, like I'll, I'll say to my husband, look, my period's coming on. I need you to cook dinner tonight. I'm going to spend the day in bed tomorrow. I need to rest. Um, you, you're going to have to do the chores and things like that and keep the ship running. Yeah. Um, I'm tapping out. And having that open communication and um, that support around that time of the month, I think is really important. I think what you've talked through there, Jen, is generally what is recommended in terms of PMDD treatment and support. So like officially, if you're seeing, you know, a medical or mental health professional, they would advise you um, if you've been diagnosed with PMDD to take into account lifestyle measures to try to manage PMDD and minimize the impact that it has on you and your quality of life. So things like sleep, exercise, diet, managing stress going to therapy if that's an option for you. And then often on the medical side of things, the main treatments are some sort of hormonal treatment like contraception or other hormonal treatments, as well as mental health medications. So the most common would be um, an SSRI. And usually you would be prescribed that to cover you across the whole month or you'd be prescribed an SSRI just for that luteal period where the PMDD symptoms are affecting you. So yeah, there's there's not a lot more than that. But again, if you're having other co-occurring things going on, then more than that might be recommended as well, like, you know, to treat any co-occurring stuff. So Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again and sharing your story. I particularly loved the analogy of, yeah, like the weather rolling in. I can see that so visually. It's almost like gives me a visceral panic response. <laughs> like, oh God. There she goes. Yeah. <laughs> also, it gives you the opportunity to run for cover. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm a lot more optimistic about how manageable it is now. No, I think that's a great way to think about it as well. You know, if you know a certain weather system is coming in, it's kind of, you know, what what can I do um, to set myself up or prepare myself for that? Um, so, yeah, I think today was so interesting to hear about your experiences and just sort of the ins and outs of PMDD and, and everything that goes into a menstrual cycle. Um, and we hope this has been helpful. Yeah, I think it's such an important topic to cover. I'm really glad that we could get you on to have a chat about it. 
Thank you so much. I'm so glad it's getting airtime as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's really great for people to hear that there is something that you can do to to try and help yourself manage the PMDD and that there's actually a label for this and there's people out there that can help. And it's not just normal. There are things you can do. There are things that can be done for you. So go go get them. Feels way better. <laughs> Not that you had to hit first. Go get him. <laughs> <laughs> there are like there are so many things that can be done for you that can make that can make life better. Um, I would really encourage you to look into them. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us further, you can do so by subscribing to our Patreon. To become part of our Patreon community, you can buy us a coffee for $5 per month or a wine for $10 per month. All of our Patreon subscribers receive access to a backlog of exclusive content and to a monthly live Zoom hangout with us and our Patreon community. Our Zoom hangouts are a place to ask questions, chat about your experiences, and connect with other neurodivergent women. From this season onward, all Patreons will also receive basic episode transcripts released each week after our episode airs. Patreons shouting us to a monthly wine get all that plus one exclusive content post per month. We really appreciate your support as we aim to make quality mental health information accessible to everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Neurodivergent Woman podcast. If you have a question or would like to contact us, you can do so through our Facebook and Instagram at the handle The Neurodivergent Woman Podcast or our website, ndwomanpod.com. You can also email us directly at ndwomanpod at gmail.com. Bye for now.